Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My party's divided, but my party's also rational. If they can't get every single thing they want, but all that they have in the bill that, that before them is good, are they going to vote no? I don't think so. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Can We Please Talk Podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Severa. Nick, my friend, before I say hello to you, let's tell the people you can email us at can we please talk podcast at yahoo.com. Continue the conversation with us, folks. We want you to continue just like that one person who wrote in and called us a leftist propaganda machine. Uh, yes, Nick, we got that over the weekend from somebody saying we are a leftist propaganda machine. I, I should have taken that out of my email signature. That, that's all me. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing, though. Uh, I don't think that person knows what the propaganda means because uh, we're not paid by any government entity or things like that. That's a um, creative way of insult that person's intelligence. Look yeah, well, also, yeah, um, and also that person watches Newsmax, so we're going to have to maybe question their judgment. On that. We'll get to more seats to this. Good grief. We'll get to more on that later on. But uh, IG, TikTok, you want to continue the conversation with us at Can We Please Talk Podcast. Uh, on Twitter at Can We Please Talk? Please hit us up, folks. You you want to talk about something? We've done so many different topics, uh, and even last week's episode on Christy Valdeseri and support groups and what she's doing. Check out that episode. We are now over thirty thousand listeners, watchers, and audience. So I'm we, sorry. Can you repeat that number again? Uh, that's I, right. For the people rooting for us that. to fail, we are over thirty thousand watchers and listeners out there in the public sphere my friend nick you and i actually have a show that people watch and consume so we are super proud of it continue supporting us you can rate and review us on whatever audio podcast platform you listen to if you're on apple leave us a five-star review and comment please and like i said please email us because nick and i 
want to want to connect with you. Like we mentioned, we talk about who hits us up on the channel. So we really want to talk to everybody. And that's the best way you can do it. Email us at canwepleasetalkpodcast at yahoo.com. Patreon. You want to become a Patreon subscriber to listen to exclusive content from all of our episodes, including bonus material from our interviews, get some show, show merch, click on the Patreon link that's right now. Whatever you're watching us, listening to us, there's a link right there at the bottom of the show notes and you can become a Patreon subscriber for the price of a cup of coffee and a deli bagel, folks. That That is like less than three bucks here in New York City. We got uh, stickers, people. Come on, that's get right. some. We got stickers. Nick will send you some stickers. Um, I don't know what you're going to do with those stickers, but we're going to send them to you. So, uh, or if you're a laptop, that's where I got mine. Uh, there we go. So, Nick, let's get into the news. There's been some recent headlines, obviously. We're going to touch on a couple of these before our guest joins us for today. And that's going to be uh, Fox News Chief Washington Correspondent Mike Emanuel to make sense of a bunch of the, the, the news of the day and also uh, what he's hearing from lawmakers and different topics that he's recently done on Fox News Live, where you can watch Mike every Sunday at one o'clock. The first thing I want to get into is some recent Supreme Court rulings that the Supreme Court has weighed in on, specifically the ACA and Obamacare and something that they upheld recently, uh, the NCAA regulation and, and what they ruled in a 9-0 uh, court ruling on, and also on a case on free speech. But first, this. The consensus is that the existential challenges to the law, these attempts to root the whole thing out and get rid of it, have really come to an end with this case. Uh, Obamacare is here to stay. Now, that doesn't mean that there won't be skirmishes about parts of the law, uh, attacks on it, legal battles over certain provisions that are still there. This is a huge, massive piece of legislation that's been on the books for 10 years. There is a federal challenge underway, for example, taking aim at some of the, the law's mandates on insurers to provide no-cost uh, benefits like uh, uh, annual checkups and the like. So those will continue. Uh, but the big takeaway from today, I think, is the fact that, that this court has now uh, has sort of uh, affirmed the law three times uh, in major substance, uh, and it's likely going to stick around now. So what were you uh, most surprised about from the Supreme Court ruling? I know the Obamacare ruling uh, was really something that you were itching to talk about. Yeah, first off, folks, you know, Mike and I gamble a little bit, and this this had me think about like FanDuel needs to get in all this, or somebody, DraftKings, I don't care about Supreme Court rulings. Because if you if you did, I'm pretty sure Mike and I would have both. Actually, no, I'm not even going to talk about Mike on this one. I'm going to talk about me. I'm pretty sure I would have lost money on this. You know, the NCAA ruling nine zero. I'm out on that one. You know, I'm I'm going right. like you know plus two hundred to the NCAA. Um, the ACA, also known as Obamacare. That one I probably would have won the bet on because I think we've seen and we've seen a challenge previously in the court. Um, it's it just stays in place. And even those most quote, I'll say, quote unquote, conservative here, because the party lines don't seem to be showing up in the court. All of this is to say these rulings have been surprising, at least to me, um, because it seems like we're we're putting party affiliations outside of the chamber and we're focusing on actually like legal precedent and actually the law, which is a sigh of relief. But uh, I don't know how I went from gambling to actual <laughs> neither, but I'll sum it up for the people because there it is. So, so let's, let's go into each one. The Supreme court last week upheld the affordable care act, knocking down the latest attempt by conservatives to kind of dismantle some of the legislation that was passed under president Barack Obama, seven to two court decision. Uh, ACA was not overturned, lacked standing to challenge the law. 
Um, the justices, however, it says, and did not address the underlying argument behind the state's case because it was Texas and a couple other Republican-led states that were calling for the ACA to be overturned. But the claim that's centered on the law's individual mandate becoming unconstitutional is what it was ruled seven to two. So uh, that was surprising. You you touched about the um, NCAA ruling. So again, now a lot of people are going to see this and say, oh, so now players can get paid. That's not necessarily what it means. It means that there's other different ways that athletes could get compensated, but schools will not be required to provide these types of benefits and conferences to impose prohibitions on certain benefits if their member schools so choose. So it, you know, it was a it was a weird ruling because they're ruling on one certain part of it, but it leaves the door open for more challenges by athletes. The Supreme Court ruling that I thought was super interesting, and I was just reading about it because it just came down as of this taping today, was that the Supreme Court ruled uh, for a cheerleader in a case involving school rules and, and specifically free speech on social media, which I think this is going to be huge, Nick, and I would love to get your take on this because uh, the, the case involved Brandy Levy. Uh, she didn't make the varsity cut as a freshman cheerleader. So, of course, you know, as any young kid does, takes to social media, takes it out and drops a, b- a bunch of F-bombs on Snapchat. And days later, the school accused her of breaching a code of conduct and suspended her for a year from cheerleading and any organized a- activities. So, you know, obviously, they took the case and it worked its way all the way up to the Supreme Court. And in an 8-1 decision, the court said the school's authority to regulate student speech is highly limited in off-campus settings. Nick, what do you make? I and mean, you work in the education space. So what do you make of this ruling? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's it shouldn't be surprising. Although, I, yeah, it really it wasn't all that surprising. I mean, we're talking about schools not being able to regulate what students say outside the school building, you know, and if I used any other environment and said the same thing again, in a publicly funded building, let's say you work for the postal service and you, you know, offsite ran about it on Twitter. Yeah. Your office doesn't get the chance to fire you over that. Um, if you're taking public folks, if you're taking public tax dollars, the laws apply a little differently than to you. If you were a private school, I would have been really interested if this had applied in a private setting. Um, but even then, private schools sometimes take public funds as well. So I'm not surprised at it. And I do agree, Mike, the thing, the the biggest thing is the precedent this sets. Because we're at a time right now where, and we saw this recently um, a year ago, actually two years ago, with like the shooting in Parkland, students being very vocal outside of school about producing change. Um, you may see more of that. Students may be further emboldened to challenge what's going on in schools or just speak freely about what's happening. And it's always been there. It's just social media now is a platform to put it out there. And for the plaintiff in this case, knowing that the school can't punish her for something that happened off offsite, I think this is going to open the floodgates, honestly. I mean, young people use social media constantly. I think it's going to be a precedent that schools have to immediately start to rethink any policy they have, student handbooks. I'm in the process of looking at one for my daughter going to a new school this fall. Um, that it just I think this is a very important precedent and one that we're going to see potentially stretched or brought up often when we see students um, just talking about what they don't like in school. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think the Supreme Court has has made some, you know, pretty shocking decisions of late, uh, specifically where their voting is, you know, a 9-0 decision, a 7-2 decision. I just mentioned the 8-1 decision in this case. So it's pretty interesting to see. Let's shift gears to Biden's agenda. The president and a lot of articles have been coming out lately about a lot of anxiety for Democrats as the Biden agenda is starting to stall. 
Obviously, there's talks about infrastructure and how a bipartisan solution can be met for this. There's the For the People Act and voting rights legislation. Let's play a clip from Jen Psaki in the White House press briefing earlier this week. We certainly know there's been, which is why you asked me, of course, that there's been a lot of talk and conversation about the filibuster. Look, the president's position on that hasn't changed, but he believes also that there's a way, there should be a way for Democrats and Republicans across the country to work together to make voting more accessible to people. It's a basic right. What's been shocking to you, you're reading some of this stuff uh, that's going on here with Biden's agenda, and how do you think he will be viewed because of this stalemate of not being able to pass some meaningful legislation. Those are really good, good questions. Yeah, man. That's why um, I, that's why I host the podcast. That's why you have the show, right? Right. So, um, no, it, I mean, first you asked me how surprising I'm not surprised at all. I mean, I, I think one thing that is important to consider is I think on the surface, we thought at least, I mean, for me, it's like, all right, so it's a 50, 50 split in the Senate, you know, obviously the deciding vote now being the vice president of the, of the Senate or vice president, you know, Kamala Harris. Um, it doesn't work like that. Actually, it's actually a 60, 60, 40 uh, in response to the filibuster. Um, we keep coming back to, again, a senator from West Virginia, and that's not a slander to West Virginia, but just from a country standpoint, at 333 million, 330 million people at last census, we're still talking about a state that by its population barely accounts for a major city in this country. Um, but Joe Manchin holds a lot of sway. And the same thing for, for cinema too in, in Arizona. So I'm not surprised. Um, I think we're still seeing a battle between a, a moderate, somewhat right-leaning voice um, within the Democratic Party that's not ready to go to go nuclear against the filibuster. And it's going to result. It keeps reminding us it's 50-50. You know, it's not, it's not even a majority. You know, you need the vice president to actually be a deciding vote sometimes. Um, we're reminded constantly that it's a razor thin um, margin ahead for the Democrats, which will be an issue in, in the midterms in 2022. Um, but yeah, not surprised at all. I think the precedent that's being continued to be said is that Joe Manchin has to be courted, which again is asinine to have this discussion, but that's where we are right now. Um, and I think Mitch McConnell is playing it exactly the way they wanted to. They are going to be the party of being obstructionist. And again, I'm not deciding either way or the other. This is what these parties, this is what both parties are trying to do. Um, yeah, it's a, pure, it's a pure numbers game at that point. I mean, it is. It, it, that's always what it's been. Right. I mean, you know, you're not going to see any changes. I mean, I think there's a fair amount of Senate seats up next year. So maybe there's an opportunity there for either party, you know, to, to claim dominance in the Senate. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Yeah. Let's shift to uh, something that our guests actually did a piece on for, for Fox News about critical race theory. But it's something I want to bring over before we bring Mike Emanuel on to talk about a bunch of these different topics. Um, critical race theory, uh, obviously, Nick, you work in the education space. So we talk about this all the time with our guests about a moment of literacy. Let's discuss what critical race theory actually is. First and foremost, critical race theory is a course that's taught in colleges, specifically talking about law school it's the it's the discussion of the ra the role that race plays in policy and decision making it's at least you know from a pol policy and decision making standpoint legally speaking to take a course like that is to get into a conversation about what role does race play in isolation that's a question that as a country we're still grappling with and when you see people talking about 
we don't want to see critical race theory taught in schools. What they're really saying is they're concerned about the, the role that race may play in what children are taught. My counter to all this is that race has always played a role. You know, if you are in, for example, if you live in New York State, Columbus Day is a day off for schools. And there's questions now about that. But that's always been predicated on the fact that we're okay with Christopher Columbus. And just factoring in what the legacy of that of that individual is, is a conversation about race. We just had passed, and again, this is, you know, this is now past our most recent federal holiday in Juneteenth. That is a day honoring the, the official <laughs> ending of slavery. And the fact that it took two years after um, the end of the Civil War for that to actually be brought to light, you know, for, for, you know, for recently freed slaves in Texas. So all these things keep getting brought up. And there is a concern by parents um, about race being talked about in the classroom. And what I would offer is that race has always been talked about. It's just that we're talking about one race. We're not getting into a conversation about the impact of what does all this mean in the history of America from the standpoint of other people. I'm not going to sit here and come off as Howard Zinn for all of you, although I would highly recommend reading a people's, people's history of the United States of America. But race has always played a role in this country. We've just not been comfortable with the conversation of race being brought up as it relates to other races beyond the white race. Um, but first and foremost, critical race theory is not something that you're teaching in a K-12 setting. Well said, Nick. Uh, when we come back, Fox News Chief Washington Correspondent Mike Emanuel is going to help us break it all down, the Supreme Court rulings, uh, the piece that he did on critical race theory that kind of feeds into what Nick was just discussing there, specifically in Landon County uh, in Virginia. Uh, we're going to talk to Mike about President Biden's agenda, what he's hearing from lawmakers in D.C., all this after the break. Nick, today's episode of the pod is brought to you by the good folks at Omeo. Omeo.com is your new booking platform. It makes planning a journey in Europe and North America effortless. Nick, I'm vaxxed. You're vaxxed. Where are we going? Where's the trip? Where are we booking? I think first trip is probably going to be a business trip for me. We've got new clients outside the tri-state area. Shout out to the Southeast. So I envision myself getting on a plane sometime this fall. So that's probably, that's probably the first thing that comes to mind. What about you? Well, well, I mean, I got to go somewhere. I don't know where I'm going to be going. Um, I was obviously in Miami. Everybody knows that. I came back to New York, um, but I would love to travel. And if I'm going to travel, Nick, it's a perfect segue, by the way. I know people hate nice, when I nice say perfect done. segue. Nice Omeo will magically right. give me all of the train, bus, flight, and ferry options for your journey. Well, let's start there because I'm not, if I got to take a ferry somewhere or a train or bus, I don't want to go there. I want to fly somewhere. I got to get out of here. But it's never been simpler to book that first real vacation of 2021. Best of all, Nick, check this out. Using Omeo saves you time and money, and that's a win-win in our books. And Omeo wants to help you leave your house this summer. It's, it's hot out, folks, so you got to leave the house, right? Everybody wants to go somewhere warm with some water. And they're offering our listeners right now 5% off their next booking. Nick, you're writing this down because you're a big, you're yeah, a big saver. Five percent's legit, man. I don't know if you people have been looking at prices for airlines and all kinds of travel. Everybody trying to make that coin after last year. So five percent off of an expense like that—that's uh, that's what's up. No, that's a great point. Uh, th they're trying to recruit that money, so you're going to need the discounts right now. Just head to omeo.com right now, folks, and use the code 
listener5 at checkout. It's valid until June 30th for new users on all of the modes of transport that are available there on omeo.com that you want to uh, book. So omeo.com is just a pick-me-up for your 2021 needs. Plan, book, and love the journey. Terms and conditions may apply. All right, like we teased at the top, Fox News Chief Washington Correspondent Mike Emanuel is back in the house. Our two-time returning champion joins us again, Mike and Nick, on the podcast. Thank you again for joining us, Mike. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. So, Mike, we want to get into some news and notes, uh, like we mentioned off air. Um, A bunch has been happening with the Supreme Court rulings. I kind of want to go through each one individually um, because a couple of them are very, very interesting, uh, specifically around freedom of speech, um, mm-hmm. There's one around the NCAA rulings, uh, which we'll which which we'll touch on, and then um, the, the Obamacare. Let's start with that one first. Um, in your opinion, of these three Supreme Court rulings, which one was kind of shocking to you, um, and, and in terms of the court making a decision leaning one way or the other? I thought Obamacare was fascinating because conservatives have been trying to kill Obamacare for 10 years, basically. It's been a promise Republicans have made to voters over and over again. You elect us. We will get rid of Obamacare. Well, it's interesting. You have a 6-3 conservative majority right now. And yet two of the people that were appointed by President Donald J. Trump voted with the liberals to uphold Obamacare. And so I found that fascinating because it, you know, in Washington, after President Trump selected Amy Coney Barrett to fill the slot held by the late, great Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, I think a lot of Democrats were freaked out thinking, "Uh uh-oh, like everything's gone out the window that Democrats hold near and dear to their hearts. Well, Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh, two of President Trump's nominees, now justices, sided with the liberals. And so I think that was interesting. And it wasn't just pure partisanship. It was who had the better constitutional legal argument. And they sided with the liberal side. So uh, Obamacare lives. It's, it's uh, been tested time and time again. And on one of the big Supreme Court cases, uh, Chief Justice John Roberts actually saved Obamacare in, in a previous term. Uh, this time, it was interesting to see, I think, what the Trump judges did. And Two out of the three uh, went with the liberals. And so I thought that was pretty fascinating. On on the subject of like where assumptions we make about partisanship and court rulings, this also brings to mind the the recent case about the city of Philadelphia against Mm -hmm. that um, foster care agency. I believe it was foster Mm -hmm. care. Um, I believe it was like a 9-0 decision in favor of the agency against the city of Philadelphia. What are these cases telling us about? And you mentioned the 6-3, you know, quote unquote, and I'll say quote unquote, because the rulings don't seem to necessarily go along with what our assumptions are about party lines and such. But what is it telling us about maybe what we're perhaps getting wrong about our assumptions about the about the Supreme Court and how it's operating and how it's um, endemic of what we think are just, you know, decisions uh, and their ramifications? I think it may be refreshing, to be honest, that in this hyper partisan town of Washington, D.C., that maybe they're turning, tuning out a lot of the noise. You know, maybe they're really back there in their chambers with their smart clerks going through case by case and looking at the legal arguments and saying, it's not what I believe personally, it's about the constitution, it's about the law. And I think they also as institutionalists um, probably want to make sure that it does not look like 
they are rubber stamping one side or the other, or, you know, totally predictable based on partisanship. And so I think, you know, they as justices wearing those black robes, not red team or blue team, um, I think feel very strongly that they have an institution to protect. Um, they've been given lifetime contracts. Uh, and so why not do the best you can based on the law? You don't have to answer to a president. Uh, you're around longer than the president, if, as long as you stay healthy. Um, so I think it's fascinating because things are so hot and so hyper-partisan in Washington, D.C., and yet that big, beautiful building, the Supreme Court, perhaps inside, they're able to tune it out, do what they need to do. And, you know, at the end of June, you know how they how they stack up, how the case cases finally stack up. And, you know, we've been watching very closely to see what the first term with Amy Coney Barrett on the high court would mean. Would she be reflexively a, a conservative or would she be unpredictable? And I think so far, um, we'll see the final report card at the end of the month, but I think so far she's been uh, interesting to watch, as have some of the other justices as well. Mike, I know you're big into college sports. Obviously, the three of us share Rutgers University and the passion for that school. Um, and I mentioned the Supreme Court ruling uh, about the NCAA. Tell us a little bit more about what the Supreme Court ruled on in that case. And do we see some more challenges coming that could break up, you know, the antitrust laws that, that the NCAA has been hiding behind for years? You know, I don't know if you guys, when you went to Rutgers, knew athletes, but I, I know back in the day that a lot of the guys we went to school with, you know, the rules were so strict in terms of what they could be given by the school. And so my understanding is, is that this opens up a lot of opportunities. And so um, more educational benefits, if you are an athlete and you want to go study overseas, go study abroad or something like that, the university can provide enhanced benefits. And so I think a lot of people see this as starting the liberation of college athletes who we know produce billions of dollars in some cases for the NCAA, for the TV networks and others, or their institutions, millions of dollars for their institutions, uh, whether it's the NCAA football playoff or March Madness. Um, obviously, some of the other sports don't create quite the revenue, but I think this is seen as an opportunity that they're they're being liberated. And I know one of the guys at Rutgers, uh, Geo Baker, a point guard on the team, was very vocal about uh, that college athletes should be able to take advantage of their platform and make a few bucks, have a few bucks in their pockets to go get a pizza or do whatever they want to do. Obviously, we know that athletes, they're shelf life in terms of their careers is not typically very long. And so they've been fighting hard to get more opportunities while they're on the Big Ten network or on an SEC network or, you know, on ABC, CBS or ESPN, um, seeking more opportunities to make a few bucks for themselves. And, you know, in a lot of these sports, at least football, um, we know they're a hit away potentially from their careers being over. And so, you know, why not have a college star being able to, if they're bringing in big dollars and people are wearing their jerseys all over town, let them make a few bucks. And so some people are suggesting that this may be the chipping away at the NCAA's absolute power when it comes to these athletes. Shifting gears to what you're all, what you're seeing actually in DC right now with 
uh, on the policy scene, you know, currently with the, or not so much policy, but you know, what we're seeing with the current administration uh, with bills trying to get passed uh, recently, we're seeing the, for the people's act, like where it is in the Senate, what's been your temperature as far as, and you mentioned before, you know, hyper-partisan be your word about yeah. DC. Yeah. Um, what's your take of where these different bills are? What are the prospects of legislation getting passed uh, and things like that? The latest I've heard is a kind of a hopeful note on infrastructure, which we've been hearing for years is something both parties would love to do. There was some thought that the builder, former President Trump, would jump on an infrastructure plan, that it would be something that he'd love to sign and to, you know, create all these things that that could go on for decades after his presidency. It didn't get done. Uh, And so now a lot of people are thinking You've got a 50-50 Senate. You've got a very closely divided House of Representatives. Yes, Democrats are in charge of the town, but basically the the legislation to get across the finish line, it would be a lot easier if you could get some Republican buy-in. And so we know that prominent Republicans, uh, Democrats in the Senate and the White House have been meeting. They've been talking about uh, ways they could get things done. Um, We're hearing very hopeful things at last report. Uh, We'll see where it goes in terms of getting legislation across the finish line. But uh, it would seem to be that, you know, improving the nation's highways, bridges, tunnels would be something that everybody could get on board with. There's been some bickering about how you pay for it. Um, Republicans have talked about repurposing some of the COVID relief money that maybe wasn't spent um, there's been some discussion uh, about the possibility of, and, and we're Northeastern guys originally, tolls. Um, but, um, you know, I think there are a lot of folks who think that that may hit the little guy more. And so maybe you don't want to do tolls. Um, so it sounds hopeful. It sounds like they are getting to a framework. If they could get at least some buy-in from both parties, then that would certainly make it a lot easier to get to President Biden's desk for his signature. Um, In this town, it's not done till it's done. Uh, If they present that framework to their conferences and say, here's what we got, and one side or the other says, heck no, we're not doing that, um, then it could be back to the drawing board. But I think if you have the president on board and top leadership in the Senate and the House on board, then I think it's looking pretty good. I would think this could be something they should get done. So um, I'm cautiously optimistic, but uh, it's been challenging in this town recently. And a lot of folks in this town basically say, well, if I'm a Democrat and the Republicans like the deal, well, then maybe I shouldn't like it that much. You know, like it's like these days, there doesn't seem to be a lot of this deal could be good for both sides. It's either I win and you lose or you win and I lose. And that makes it tough to get things across the finish line. So um, my guess is that infrastructure could hopefully get done. um, And uh, we'll see, there could be some, some bumpy days ahead, but um, they sound hopeful at the moment. Mike, one of the big shifts from President Biden to from former President Trump um, was really about America first. And when Biden went overseas recently, President Biden talked about, you know, returning to 
working with allies, specifically like England and France. Uh, what do you make of President uh, Biden's trip out to Europe and, and the relationships that he's built with some of the other world leaders? Well, I think a lot of the allies uh, felt a lot more comfortable with him. I think uh, they've gotten to know him over the years. Uh, he eight years as President Obama's vice president. So he was well known from that. Some of the ones who've been around a long time may know him from when he was on the Foreign Relations Committee in the United States Senate. And so they may go way back with him. And so I think the body language from the allies was comfortable um, because I think if you look back at former President Trump's term, he was a disruptor. He was a disruptor on a lot of things in Washington. He was also a disruptor um, in terms of things like NATO and saying to allies, you need to pay more to protect the alliance. You know, this should not all be on the United States's taxpayers' backs. And so um, the body language seemed to be that the allies were, were pretty comfortable, somebody they know, somebody they trust. And, um, you know, for the sake of the country, let's hope it's a, a successful uh, relationship going forward because he is our commander in chief. Turning to just thinking about education as another sphere, uh, I know recently there was a piece you had done around critical race theory and just the, just for lack of a better phrase, the controversy around it, which I mean, just my personal aside is there's a lot of misinformation floating around about it. But in your reporting, what was some of the things that just came up, some of the things you were learning? Yeah, I, I've been spending a lot of time in Loudoun County, Virginia. It's a Washington, D.C. suburb, upscale, a lovely community, uh, good schools, great homes, uh, nice neighborhoods. Um, and I've talked to a lot of parents who are concerned because they do think that the curriculum has shifted some. Um, that some of the books that are being sent home with their kids are different. And look, I cannot 100% say that the curriculum has changed. All I can tell you is I've talked to parents who are concerned about that. Um, I was at a school board meeting where um, it was hot on both sides. And so there's that issue. And then there's also a transgender policy issue, which are two red hot issues in this Washington, D.C. suburb. Um, and people are fired up. And it's interesting because, you know, I think in a lot of communities, the school board meeting is like a snoozer and nobody turns out. But um, there were 259, I think, signed up to speak at the last Loudoun County school board meeting. Uh, and they cut it off after 51 speakers because things got really hot in the room. Um, so, look, I think um, it's it's a it's an emotional topic. Um, I think there are a lot of people who think that there are ways to incorporate some of this into academics. Um, but some of the parents I talked to just sounded like some of the books that were being put in the classroom may have had some language that they thought was inappropriate. Uh, some of them felt like it was causing um, children who may not see color as young kids to, to see it and, um, and perhaps feel guilty if their ancestors were Anglo and perhaps feel like they were mistreated if they were African-American. And I know this is a very much a hot button issue, so I'm not taking a position here, um, but it's emotional. And I think a lot of teachers feel like, you know, they're in a tough spot because people are very fired up on both sides, um, both the critical race theory issue and the transgender issue. 
And um, it's certainly going to be something to watch. I think um, a lot of parents are, are very engaged in wondering how it's going to play out over the summer. And uh, I know Loudoun County is planning a vote in August on the transgender policy. And so uh, we'll see how it plays out. We'll leave it to the, the parents in, and the school system out there to figure it out. Mike, one thing that seems to have taken a back burner, which I'm pretty shocked at because we keep seeing a rise in gun violence across the country. But what are you hearing in, in D.C.? I know you just alluded to it earlier about how tough it has been in terms of uh, making or getting bipartisan support on legislation. But what are you hearing in terms of any type of gun legislation that's coming down the pike? Anything that's being proposed right now in the House or the Senate? I'm not hearing much of anything at the moment to be. 100% candid, 100% honest. Um, I know every time there's one of these devastating mass shootings, uh, there's a lot of talk. Um, and then as the weeks and months go by, maybe they realize it's a difficult issue because the two parties are dug in and in potentially different areas. Um, so right now, I'm not hearing a whole lot of anything. And, and maybe it's as simple as it, with this tight of a divide in the Senate and the House, um, it may be too difficult to get something across the finish line. Um, you know, if four or five Democrats from rural districts basically say they're not going to support something because maybe they're in rural districts, um, you know, and no Republicans support it, then it's doomed. Um, in the Senate, to get much of anything done, you really need 60 votes in favor. Um, so that would mean typically 10 Republicans to go on board with the Democrats. And so, you know, it, it, I'm not hearing much of that, anything going on at the moment on that issue right now. Actually, I'm glad you brought up that about the 60 votes. Um, it seems to that I mean, I'm not even going to create a straw person here. I'm just going to use myself. But, you know, as a result of the recent election in 2020, you know, when we saw, you know, two senators emerge from Georgia as Democrats, suddenly you're looking at a 50-50 split in the Senate with the deciding vote being the vice president, whose formal title was president of the Senate in Vice President Kamala Harris. But as you're saying, and we're becoming more familiar with that concept of 60 votes, the filibuster, pieces like that. Mike and I like to refer to this as a literacy moment. Mike, um, just kind of putting you on the spot from a policy standpoint, mm -hmm. how has the conversation shifted? Like, why have we gone away from like, well, the Democrats had that 51, that could have been the majority, to now really actually need 60? Well, um, that's been the tradition and in the United States Senate. And the thought was, was that the House with 435 would pass things by simple majority. And then when they got to the Senate, that would be kind of the cooling saucer to basically hash out the ideas, see if you can get the other side to come aboard, you know, maybe do a little horse trading. I'll give you some of this. You give me some of that. We get a compromise deal across the finish line. And so much of the past, I don't know, decade or so has felt like, again, uh, if your side wins, then my side loses. And so maybe I'd rather get 0% of a deal uh, than to look like I lost. And so um, it's been really, really tough. And, you know, I think the 2022 election may sort out whether 
President Biden gets a larger majority and, and maybe it's a little easier for him to get his agenda through. Or if there's a Republican Senate and or a Republican House, um, you know, it, it may be a couple of years of gridlock or they may sit at the negotiating table and maybe they can cut some deals. So, you know, there are those who would say when you've got divided government, there's a great opportunity for doing some big things. Um, but everybody has to be a willing partner at the table. And so I guess we'll just see how it plays out. Mike, thank you so much again for coming on the program. One o'clock on Sundays, Fox News Live. Mike Emanuel does a great job. Follow the stories. You can check him out or check out foxnews.com and type in Mike Emanuel and you can see all the recent stories that he's done. We appreciate you coming on the program again, Mike. Thank you and all the best. Continued success, sir. My pleasure. Have a great summer and keep doing great things, guys. All right. That was Fox News Chief Washington Correspondent Mike Emanuel. As always, he was great. You know, I, I, one of the people that I, I trust on the news circuit to really give you the actual news of the day and tell you what's going on, um, not only in D.C., like he mentioned, some of the recent stories that he did on Fox News Live on Sundays about critical race theory, some of the different lawmakers from both sides of the aisle that he had on to talk about Biden's infrastructure plan. Nick, your takeaways of some of the news headlines that we've discussed tonight, um, the Supreme Court rulings, you got uh, you know Biden's agenda, we got the critical race theory stuff. What's something that stood out to you? The first, it's the just under just realizing for me and just through how Mike explained it is that, you know, what we assume is party affiliation for members of the Supreme Court is not playing a role in recent decisions, uh, which is a welcome sight. It gives us hope that there is a place where the law still holds up. It's not about the political affiliation. That's the first one. And the second one is reminding us again of the of the importance of the the threat of the filibuster you're know, understanding that 50, you know a 50 50 with a you know deciding vote by the vice president doesn't mean laws get passed it's still about it's still really about 60 60 40 because of the filibuster those are the two big things that i came away with yeah one of the things that yeah nick you need to get some water there uh one of the things that i that i <laughs> took away from mike was about uh the gun violence part you know i asked him about what he's hearing in dc anything you know in terms of all of the recent shootings that have happened um if you watch you don't even got to watch your the major news networks folks even if you watch your local news in local towns you're, you're seeing you know a rise in shootings across the country specifically mass shootings and and how that statistic has been calculated we've discussed this numerous times on the program but um hearing nothing from lawmakers in dc both in the house and senate and this is a guy who routinely interviews people um from both sides of the political aisle to kind of find out um where they are with certain legislation how they're working with other members uh, of, of the congress and, and so that was surprising to me a little bit head shaking because of what is happening and how we've discussed gun violence you know we had ellie honig on the program when at the time the atlanta shooting had happened and the Colorado mass shooting. So, you know, it's it's a little troubling. And that was back in uh, wh whenever that was in March, I believe. So that, that was one of my, my my big takeaways. The other thing that I mentioned, go check out uh, on foxnews.com. If you type in Mike Emanuel, you'll see the piece that he did on critical race theory. Um, it was pretty good, the perspectives that he got about that topic. Uh, for our show, folks, YouTube, you want to subscribe to the program? 
uh, please subscribe to the program. You can watch all the video clips of this content as Nick smashes and pushes down the subscribe button that you need to subscribe to audio podcast platforms. Please rate and review us on whatever podcast platform allows you to do that. Show notes, links, you'll see the Patreon link. Please become a Patreon subscriber. You're going to hear more bonus content from Nick and I and also all of our guest interviews that we've done, specifically Mike Emanuel, too. We asked him about some of his favorite stories that he's covered in D.C. over the last 20 plus years. Um, so check all of that content out at Patreon. And if you go to patreon.com, you can just type in Can We Please Talk Podcast. TikTok, IG, Can We Please Talk Podcast. Follow us there. Twitter at Can We Please Talk and email us at Can We Please Talk Podcast at yahoo.com. Let's continue the conversation, folks. As always, I'm Mike Leon. Grateful for everyone to listen and just be part of the conversation. I'm Nick Saveri. Thanks for listening, watching. We'll see you next time. Later. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.